Hello and welcome back to the podcast on spiritual and energetic embodiment in the third dimension. I'm Mars Muzakia and let's hit that chronic from hydroponics and unwind as we discuss the conditions trauma manifests as post-traumatic stress disorder and its complex counterpart here on Manifestations with Mars. start with a similar disclaimer as the last episode, reminding you that this podcast is for entertainment and educational purposes only, as based on my personal experience, research and education, and professional experience. I am not a licensed psychologist, do not speak with the authority of one, and cannot practice any type of therapy intentionally or not. Spiritual practitioners often are not qualified to assume the role of a therapist, and it's easy to miss how this dynamic can come about. If, for any reason, you are feeling worse when working with a practitioner, or feel uneasy, unsettled, or otherwise anxious while listening to these episodes on trauma, please take a step back and consider whether continuing is the safe option for you. If you have any concerns with what's mentioned in this episode, or you find yourself relating to most of the symptoms mentioned, please seek additional help in the form of a qualified medical professional. This does not replace medical advice or treatment, and is not intended to act as such. Although I mentioned these briefly in the previous episode, I'll go through the general trauma definitions again. Acute trauma is from an unexpected single event, like an accident or catastrophic weather. Chronic trauma is repeated and prolonged, like abuse of various kinds. And complex trauma is from differing and or multiple traumatic events, which were often from interpersonal interactions and can be invasive. Acute trauma can possibly result in post-traumatic stress disorder, while chronic and complex trauma would result in the classification of complex post-traumatic stress disorder. Post-traumatic stress disorder is also known as post-traumatic stress syndrome, and this can develop after one is exposed to trauma as a single event or a short-term reality. During trauma, which can be shocking, dangerous, and terrifying for one to experience, the fight-or-flight response is activated. Although commonly referred to with that name, this refers to the automatic response one may have to the event fight, flight, freeze, or fawn. This is where a physical response is triggered with things like stress hormones, your brain pauses its full ability to create and store memories, and your heart can beat faster along with other physical symptoms of anxiety manifesting. Fighting as a response can be healthy, where you assert your boundaries and walk away from the event without lasting effects, like trauma. When fight is unhealthy, This is when conflict is used to assert dominance or appear in control with aggression, and the body can react as if it were preparing to fight with bald fists, a tight jaw and mouth with an angry expression, and raised blood pressure to support the chemical reaction in the brain. Flight is fleeing the situation and escaping. When healthily done, this is consciously disengaging from something for your own safety. Unhealthy fleeing has to do with escapism, avoiding conflict with self-isolation. Fleeing can also be done in an attempt to avoid one's own emotions or memories involving trauma. The freeze response, when healthy, occurs when one slows down and reflects on the path of action to take before enacting it. An unhealthy freeze response never moves past the potential, remaining stuck in the mind and body as the actual nervous system begins to shut down in response to danger. This is when the body overrides the mind and can work against the mind even if there is a genuine want for a different effect. Freezing can be a form of temporary paralysis, the body's closest way to quote-unquote play dead to avoid further danger from a predator. Fawning, when healthily done, isn't actually fawning. 
This would be showing your respect and compassion for others appropriately. Fawning pretty much is unhealthy, as it revolves around people-pleasing, using compliments or affection as a placeholder for substance. Fawning happens often when a threat isn't accurately perceived as such, or is activated when danger is recognized, but there is no other way out than to make yourself appear non-threatening. With fawning comes the risk of not asserting yourself as your own person with valid thoughts and beliefs to be respected, as conflict is completely avoided at any cost with this response. All four of these responses can appear for someone, as PTSD is when your body remains in this kind of stress response long-term, reacting as if there is a continual dangerous stimuli. The part of the brain which handles fear and emotion, the amygdala, is found to be more active in people with PTSD, and this condition can change the brain for the long-term. The brain, while it has the ability to recover and repair and heal, is always changed with a trauma that results in PTSD or a similar condition. Experiencing some effects from trauma can be normal for a short period of time, but if symptoms last for weeks, months, or years, you should seek professional help for PTSD. Symptoms for PTSD usually manifest in three ways, which can be re-experiencing symptoms, sense of threat symptoms, and avoidance symptoms. PTSD can also be dormant for a period of time after the traumatic event, or if you're actively in it, only showing up once your body and brain deem it safe enough to do so. Many people have symptoms of PTSD and don't recognize it either from being numb from dissociation or normalizing a state of hypervigilance. It could take months or years for someone to realize that they have these symptoms or that a trauma occurred in the first place. Re-experiencing symptoms are usually the best recognized symptoms of PTSD, which are intrusive and include flashbacks and nightmares or memories and powerful emotions being triggered for one reason or another. The person re-experiencing symptoms may be immersed in the event with their senses, reliving it through sight, smell, and sounds of the trauma. Re-experiencing symptoms is the most common symptom of PTSD, as the memories are associated with a physical response to them, which can often further cement this event in the brain as something dangerous. Flashbacks and nightmares both come with the physical side effects of feeling anxious, afraid, guilty, or suspicious, and these can turn physically into chills, shaking, headaches, heart palpitations, and panic attacks. Sense of threat symptoms manifest in those who feel like they must be or constantly are on guard, remaining hypervigilant of their surroundings. These people are easily startled and can be paranoid, interpreting others as dangerous based on prior experience or similarities to the trauma. Being in this state can prevent one from performing daily functions, create more aggression, angry outbursts, or other generally negatively associated emotions that lead to more of that feeling being aggravated. Emotional reactions aren't what they typically would be or historically have been for this person, and it shows when how they treat others and themselves is observed. Because it's hard to focus in this state, especially when your nerves are flaring up to tell you a message for something that isn't really there, this can adjust the reality for the individual and skew it to reinforce danger so that the self can feel useful or focused on a specific target. Those affected by the symptom may not realize they fall into this dynamic and can react poorly if confronted that that's not the way things really are. This isn't gaslighting the person with PTSD, but it's an attempt to recalibrate the brain to realize that something happened and should be considered that this isn't a normal, everyday response to something mundane. Avoidance symptoms show up as spending a lot of energy avoiding triggers. Life is restructured to avoid running into the same people, places, or situations that were involved in or remind them of the trauma experienced. As a way to avoid confronting the trauma, this can manifest as self-medicating with drugs or alcohol. Being Being avoidant isn't limited to reminders of the event, 
and people can self-isolate as an effect of this symptom. Guilt and shame that's misunderstood can lead to withdrawing from engaging with close relationships, society at large, and even care of the self, which can all fall under the umbrella of avoidance in PTSD. With those being the three main symptoms of PTSD, I want to talk a little bit about how they're misunderstood or dangerously explained for people in spiritual spaces or specific practices later on. So complex PTSD is the chronic version of PTSD. This comes with more symptoms than would be appropriate for just the PTSD classification itself. While those with CPTSD might have these symptoms, it's easy for any of the symptoms for either condition to be representative of another condition. And the only person who can clarify that distinction for you is a person who is qualified to diagnose mental health disorders. Trauma is commonly occurring in life for everyone. Each person is affected by it differently. And conditions like PTSD are often comorbid with other conditions that can lead to even more trauma for an individual. For example, the trauma of chronic pain doesn't go away and often gets worse as answers aren't found, resources aren't available, or treatment is affecting the ability to earn a living and support the self as insurance is private in the US. And the lack of universal healthcare only increases these problems and the trauma it creates. The medical treatment would then be a contributing factor for CPTSD as it is a complex and chronic trauma. Although CPTSD is a pretty recently recognized condition, it's generally agreed that additional symptoms present with CPTSD that are not found in PTSD and can include emotional dysfunction like flat affect or inappropriate responses, negative self-concept or problems with self-esteem, and interpersonal disturbances like relationship problems. Negative self-concept includes feelings of worthlessness or guilt and shame. This lack of self-esteem leads to the individual blaming themselves for their trauma. And this can be reinforced by others around them not believing them or general victim blaming beliefs like ambiguous consent or the law of attraction. I'd like to remind everyone listening that consent can only be given with education and enthusiasm which means without coercion or other influences involved in the decision. The problems don't stop there. As these individuals may believe bad things happen because of something in them, can be called evil or abused as such, or the help they find can further the trauma another way by reinforcing the wrongful attribution that this person invited this into their life on their own. This would be a re-traumatizing dynamic, as every event or interaction can end up reinforcing that the individual was bad or wrong for what happened to them, and it's all their fault. Abuse and trauma are often opportunists. They strike in moments of vulnerability or when you don't see it coming, and the lack of control involved can often translate into the belief of, I should have known better and could have done better. That is dangerous to hold as a survivor. Please find some relief knowing that if you truly did know better, you would have done better. And there's no reason to blame yourself for what someone else does to you. Emotional dysfunction in those with complex PTSD often result in experiencing more intense emotions, which can be inappropriate at times. Anger and sadness can be two prominent emotions that are felt, but aside from the quote-unquote denser emotions like fear and rage, there can be the tendency to feel like life isn't real or that they're living inside a dream. Aside from this dreamlike escape, it can be hard for someone with CPTSD to experience happiness or allow it to linger, as the feeling can be foreign and questioned as if it were a threat to safety. In addition to experiencing intense emotions at inappropriate times, the emotions felt can also be inappropriate for the situation at hand, including laughing during a violent scene in media, crying when someone's telling you about their day at work, or becoming so frustrated that a physical outburst is in its beginning stages before it needs to be shut down or you suffer consequences from carrying it out. 
The emotional dysregulation can also contribute to either of the other symptoms with CPTSD, as they're often wrapped up together and interwoven to present as a single issue of being the problem. Interpersonal issues, like relationship problems, can be easy to find for people with complex PTSD. The condition can make it difficult to trust others and can affect the ability to gauge whether someone is trustworthy. The relationships affected can be personal, romantic, platonic, professional, and are not limited to just one kind, although one may more easily trust sexual partners over romantic partners as an oversight of a trauma response, for example. People with CPTSD may have the tendency to stay in unhealthy relationships due to the situation being familiar. I've spoken on this publicly before, how familiarity has been weaponized by predatory people in spiritual spaces, but I'll talk more about that later. So due to this familiarity, there's the comparison to a baseline that one has experienced, but may not be healthy at all. Because the same feelings are felt, the same things are happening, and it's easier to continue without challenging that there may be an issue, because there was never the ability to recognize it as a problem. If one's trauma involved abuse at all, this dynamic can either be recreated or the original relationship may still exist with complicated feelings surrounding it. This could appear as a disorganized or anxious attachment style rather than a secure one that would be healthy. There's also the likeliness of obsessing over the abuser in some way and wanting revenge of some kind, including but not limited to violent fantasies or conspiring and acting on these thoughts. If one is actively around the abuser, this could be prioritizing the abusive relationship and showing off or otherwise having a valuation system that is dependent on the abuser, which isn't healthy either. While those are the different symptoms of CPTSD to separate it from PTSD, there are kinds of traumatic events and risk factors that are more likely to result in CPTSD than others. CPTSD is like a step above PTSD. PTSD had to be present first, where the trauma was either prolonged or there were multiple instances, either of the same kind or different kinds of trauma combined. The fact that the trauma was prolonged or has multiple factors involved can make it harder to break down and recover from than PTSD, where a single event can be worked through and overcome often with exposure therapy for PTSD. CPTSD has many layers to sift through to the point that you can tell they contributed to one's overall worldview and perspective with it. Risk factors for CPTSD include multiple traumas, trauma occurring at an early age, long-term trauma, abuse by a trusted family member or close friend, and believing that being trapped in a situation is the only option for survival, adjusting to the interpretation that changing things won't make a difference. The kinds of trauma that can contribute to the development of CPTSD is childhood trauma in the form of abuse or neglect, long-term domestic violence, incarceration, war, kidnapping, enslavement, torture, trafficking, or repeated events of assault, whether physical, sexual, emotional, or spiritual. Any kind of chronic trauma can end up as an element in CPTSD and ultimately change reality for the survivor. Other conditions can be caused by trauma and look similar to PTSD, but aren't recognized as such. This can be for a number of reasons, as more information is needed for diagnosis, or some professionals have different preferences with diagnostic criteria. These conditions can include borderline personality disorder, disorders of extreme stress not otherwise specified, and enduring personality changes after catastrophic events along with trauma-induced dysphoria, which is often found with 
dissociative identity disorder, and other conditions involving depersonalization, derealization, and dissociation. Borderline personality disorder, also known as BPD, the symptoms between BPD and PTSD are similar, to the point that many people, myself included, have been misdiagnosed with BPD instead of receiving the more accurate diagnosis of CPTSD. The main difference in the manifestation of symptoms is that BPD does not require a history of trauma for diagnosis, although it is common. There is not widespread agreement that there's a difference between PTSD and BPD, as some researchers believe BPD is a genetic condition and a result of brain development, while others think PTSD is a subtype of BPD altogether. Borderline personality disorder is also considered by some to be an adaptive condition where it only exists in response to trauma or emotional neglect and abandonment. The lack of consensus makes it harder to have the conversations of root causes and proper treatment and acknowledgement moving forward. There's heavy stigma with both conditions, which is the only other thing I personally think they have in common. Disorders of extreme stress not otherwise specified or desnos uh, is basically the same thing as complex PTSD, but it's used in preference since PTSD is not a formal diagnosis in the DSM-5. Alternatively, enduring personality changes after catastrophic events, EPSACE, I think, is when the individual has personality changes that last for two years after trauma or longer. This is a condition that is only used by some mental health professionals because it is no longer recognized by the World Health Organization since CPTSD is used instead. Trauma-induced dysphoria is also just generally referred to as dysphoria, but I want to clarify the relation to trauma rather than the more commonly heard and understood term of gender dysphoria, which has nothing to do with trauma. Dysphoria is a state of feeling, so where euphoria is extreme happiness, this is extreme dissatisfaction or unease and is often a part of other mental conditions like anxiety, depression, or anything involving stress. Signs of dysphoria often look like symptoms of depression, with bouts of crying, apathy, change in appetite and sleep patterns, fatigue, sadness, worry, unease, and more unrealistic or catastrophic thinking that further shapes this discontent. Stress, medications, and health conditions all play a role in how one may experience dysphoria, with trauma being the cause of this state specifically, whether acute or chronic. Dysphoria is relieved as conditions are less tense for the individual, but are not exempt from returning, as episodic dysphoria can be as common as a PTSD-related episode. While I have a whole episode dedicated to healing from trauma, I must recommend that if you recognize yourself in this episode at all, to consider options that may be available to you for treatment of CPTSD or PTSD. There are different forms of therapy that can help one cope with trauma, which can include talk therapy to verbally process the trauma with a qualified individual who can direct you if it gets dangerous, medication therapy to help with symptoms related to trauma, exposure therapy to face memories and fears in a safe space, cognitive behavioral therapy to rewire thought patterns that the trauma affects, and dialectical behavioral therapy, or DBT, which can help an individual with improving emotional regulation and interpersonal relationships. EMDR, or eye movement desensitization and reprocessing therapy, is another option that seems to turn out well for PTSD, but can be more complicated for CPTSD or for neurodivergent people like autistics and people with ADHD. Personally, with CPTSD, this got in the way of receiving an accurate diagnosis for most of my life which then contributed to that same condition. There's a lot of medical mistrust that I have, which is ironic to suggest healthcare so heavily, 
but there's no way to change things other than actively doing, and this includes advocating for yourself and engaging with patient advocacy programs that are around in different healthcare systems. It is 100% more dangerous to not involve a qualified professional in your healing process, as many physical things can be ruled out that could lead one to spiritual psychosis if they weren't careful. What I do not recommend for those with PTSD or CPTSD is to only work with a spiritual practitioner or energy worker as a means of healing from trauma. While a practitioner can add another element to your healing, your therapist should know about them and the work you do with them. If there's a sense of shame to bring this up in a medical setting, ask yourself why. Is a spiritual practice really the best thing for your health and embodiment at that point? I've seen some practitioners promote lying to medical and health professionals because of the bias with visions and the kind of work done in the field. I never had a problem talking about my field of work or what happens with it when I was going to trauma therapy to help me process spiritual abuse and cult dynamics that I've been speaking about publicly for the last year. That therapy did help me figure out how some elements of my own CPTSD were manifesting, as well as how people-pleasing was not the right way to cope with it, nor was taking on more responsibility than is really my own, while being unable to provide for myself because of how the trauma and the people involved impacted me. Stigma, I truly believe at this point, is only surrounding spiritual practices for mental health because of the bypassing so widely established and enforced. If you can't explain the difference between a delusion and a channeled message for yourself, or if you think that it can't even possibly be a product of delusion, I suggest learning some more about discernment. Psychosis and delusion are uncontrollable things, unlike one's psychic abilities, which are only strong with boundaries. But the same abilities can be the result of trauma as well. It's easy to mistake something like hypervigilance for clairvoyance or clairsentience, and you can tell when this is done when the messages relayed don't make sense to you or at all. I have witnessed some practitioners lead others down dangerous paths by taking advantage of the position their friends or clients were in after traumatic events in their own lives. Looking for direction ended up with these people absolutely lost, believing that PTSD symptoms are a normal part of the process when it comes to spiritual practices when they're not. Try to be mindful of where your practices or activities fall under the avoidance part of PTSD, or worse, how an unhealthy dynamic can reinforce unsafe elements with CPTSD. Since PTSD leaks into every area of life, it's easy to fall into a feedback loop that exists to make one feel better. People-pleasing, doing things for others, bending boundaries, and not truly respecting the self in the process. You could even do this to yourself without any outside help by channeling things that are only what you want to hear versus opening yourself up safely and healthily to messages your guides or the universe can relay instead. Part of PTSD involves the inability to trust the self as well, which can lead to finding help from other unqualified voices who do not or cannot see you and your situation for what it is a health condition in need of further outside treatment. For an example of PTSD in media, I think that Degrassi The Next Generation handles this really well with the character of Paige Michael Chuck. I am not sponsored by HBO Max, but I should be considering I keep recommending things on that channel. So Paige from Degrassi shows a pretty typical experience with PTSD after being sexually assaulted. So in season three and the beginning of season four, this storyline plays out, but I believe it is referenced throughout the rest of the series afterwards. So in season three, we see the initial event. Then we see the victim blaming from others, self-blame with guilt and shame, physical response to being triggered, counseling and efforts to heal from the event, dropping counseling with the belief that everything is cured and healed and nothing else has to be considered, and resuming counseling in preparation to press charges and take control of the situation.
conversation further. So throughout the series, after the assault occurs, Paige is triggered when she sees her abuser, hears the music that was playing during the assault, or feels how she did in the event. Paige has clear symptoms of PTSD, as this condition interferes with her relationships with her boyfriend while she grows comfortable with the person who she's able to confide in about the event and 100% believes and defends her. Paige felt safe and validated by the latter experience, whereas her boyfriend was teasing her and triggering her unintentionally before understanding it as the violation it is and supporting her in court. After the court case didn't go well for Paige, she is seen partying, putting herself in the same environment her trauma occurred, being unreasonably aggressive with other partygoers, and re-traumatizing herself by behaving similarly to the way she was before the first trauma, also acting as a way to justify that it happened in the first place. Paige references the kind of change this trauma can cause, speaking in third person when she says that she went upstairs that night and never came back. A lot of people feel fractured after a trauma, and more so with PTSD, as lasting effects exist because of the trauma and only because of the trauma. Paige also seeks revenge, not caring about the damage it causes to other people involved, making things worse for herself for acting upon it. This event is something that keeps coming back to haunt her, with no perceived victory over the event stopping the ways it still reaches her. We are almost done. I just have to talk about the figure drawings. So figure 11.1, wow, episode 11. Figure 11.1 shows what happens when a client with PTSD or CPTSD is not treated with care by a spiritual practitioner or energy worker. The physical symptoms that are mentioned in re-experiencing the trauma are present for the client, which were triggered by the session with the practitioner. The practitioner told the client these symptoms were typical for energy work, not explaining any further, and that was the accepted reality. Figure 11.1 leads into 11.2 for those who don't catch what's happening in time to stop it. So with figure 11.1, I'm trying to show the physical symptoms that are being normalized with spiritual work as a way to avoid that there really is an issue going on. A lot of the people that are perpetuating these kinds of beliefs and that these symptoms are normal um, for energy work always don't have the knowledge or are avoiding the fact that trauma can present psychosomatically actual physical responses like fight and flight and everything um so with resistance talking about one of the first episodes i did resistance would be used in this situation to say that you know your physical effects the physical symptoms are preventing you from experiencing the work fully when really something else that could be familiar in this situation in this session can be triggering that response instead so that you know it is not safe or it's not something to completely engage with to better protect yourself. A lot of the time, the spiritual practitioner is the one who shouldn't be engaged with, not the client. Although, I'm not going to fault the client for seeking help when they're doing what they can. It's not the client's fault when the practitioner abuses. It's never the client's fault in those cases. But we could talk about how to recognize it. And this is one of the ways. If you feel like this, if you feel like figure 11.1, maybe disengage from what's going on. And hopefully it doesn't lead into figure 11.2. So figure 11.2 is an energetic manifestation of PTSD with dissociative elements. So this is the encouraging of a dreamlike escapism that is common for CPTSD. This is enforcing the indulging of the fantasy 
rather than remaining wrapped within reality. For one reason or another, things are so bad in their reality that they need to jump into another one with maladaptive daydreaming and rituals to maintain that state. So if they lose any grasp on their escapism, they spiral and do what they can to remain in it. Um, to the point of cutting people out of their lives that are looking out for them, changing the behaviors, quitting jobs, changing directions in life completely. People that are going through this will not be the same person that they were before the instance that changed them. And they can be so disconnected from their self that they don't realize that this is occurring, that they don't realize how drastically they're changing, or that this is a sign of something deeper going on. This can be someone who does not know that they have PTSD, who thinks that everything going on is a spiritual symptom or a symptom of ascension, or it's something that is going on that has a spiritual reason behind it. Not everything will. Of course, anybody can reason away anything. That's how conspiracy theories are made, but this is not a productive way of doing so. This goes beyond the realm of play and role play to understand things. This is, this is reality for this person and then it is so painful to actually return to reality and that's why this other alternate is chosen but it's only worse the more that kind of split is encouraged it's only harder to come back and accept yourself and reality for what it is and maybe the decisions that you have to make after realizing what they are. Unfortunately, these figures were two of the more bad effects with trauma and PTSD and not being respected, but it's also what I have seen with my own clients after they have been traumatized or re-traumatized with other spiritual practitioners. And I am grateful that they let me see it. And I'm grateful that those experiences didn't prevent them from coming to me to try and correct that um, as part of exposure therapy, because that is one way to do it. It's sad because a lot of the mistreatment and spiritual abuse that does occur does prevent people from leaning on spiritual practices as a means of comfort or coping when that's what they are too. I mean, look at history look at the kinds of stories that we have told ourselves across different cultures, across different times, what those stories were saying. A lot of them were to make sense of the surrounding environment. A lot of them could make sense of the self within the surrounding environment. And with things like PTSD, the surrounding environment is so warped that you are somehow enmeshed with it. You are not separate from it because you don't fully know who you are because of the trauma. Simple enough. Trauma is a very displacing thing. And it raises a lot of questions and can become an existential problem for people who are ill-equipped to handle it but I believe it never should be handled alone. That's it for this episode. Thank you for listening to me ramble about PTSD and CPTSD. And please tune in to the final two episodes on trauma that are coming up next. I'll be discussing sexual and spiritual trauma, the two kinds that are more likely to lead to danger when one's on the journey to self-healing, next time on Manifestations with Mars. Manifestations with Mars.